Okay, let's uh, open up our Bibles and jump into uh, Ephesians chapter 1. And I'll read from verses uh, 17 through 20. So Ephesians 1, 17 through 20. But prayer for the sanctification of the elect. So I'll read. I'll actually read from, start from verse 15, so we'll get some context and also end at verse 20. So we'll see the context here also. Paul writing to the Ephesians, because of this also, hearing of your faith in the Lord Jesus. And your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, making mention in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your hearts having been enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance among the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty strength, which he has worked in Christ, raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So Paul is here in, in a section, in a small subsection of this chapter, where he is expressing his prayer for the church at Ephesus. He has written to them about how God the Father has elected them unto salvation from before the foundation of the world, how the Son has redeemed these elect, and how the Spirit has applied this work and given himself to them as a ransom of their inheritance. And in verse 15, Paul says, because of this, because... I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. I have heard of the fact that you are among these elect. You have been elected by God the Father. You have been saved. You have been given faith in Christ Jesus. So because I have heard of this. And he has heard of their love for all the saints. He is thanking God for what he has done, for this work of election, of salvation, of sanctification. He has praised God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and thanked God for his work in the past, for the work that God has done toward them for saving them and giving them faith 
thanking them in verse 16. I do not cease giving thanks for you. Giving thanks for you. Giving thanks for this work of God in them. And then now he continues. He's making mention of them in his prayers. Thanked God for the faith in the Lord Jesus. For the love to all the saints. The fact that they have been saved. But now he also prays for the continuing work of God in their lives. He prays for them that God will continue to work in them. And this is what the the entire book of Ephesians is about. It's about what God has done for his church, for his elect, and what God will continue doing for his elect. What work God has already done for them and the work that God will continue to do for them. So this is a small section that deals with this same topic. Now he prays for God to continue working in them, to give them the right knowledge of God. That they will understand, have more recognition, realization of the hope they have, the glory that they have. And to understand and get to know more of God's great power. And this text is to stir us up to prayer. Because it's a means that God uses to save his elect and also to sanctify his elect. That they will continue in the faith they have been given. Continue in the holiness they have been given and grow in that holiness. Grow in that faith. Grow in that understanding and knowledge of him and what they have in Christ. Jesus. So he prays in verse 17. He says again, praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, it's the same thing he says in verse 3 the God of blessed is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. The glorious Father who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. God, the Father, is the God of Jesus Christ. This doesn't deny the fact that Jesus Christ is the true God. But Jesus Christ is also the true man. He is true God and true man and in his human nature, in his humanity, God the Father is also his God. And as the true man, Jesus Christ is the mediator between men and between God, being the God-man, he is able to Plead our case before God the Father and mediate between 
men and between God. So in order for this to work, Jesus has to also be a true man and also be have God as his God also so that he can mediate from between us men and between God the Father. Jesus also says in John 20 and 70, he says, I ascend to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. So Jesus calls God the Father his God. And again, this doesn't deny the fact that Jesus is the true God, but he's the true man, submitted as a man unto God the Father under him, under his authority. Anyway, Paul prays that God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, from whom all glory, all good gifts come from, he prays that he may give you, the church at Ephesus, a spirit of Wisdom, he prays that God will give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation. He will give them a spirit which is of wisdom, which is not only intellectual knowledge or intellect or intelligence in the head, but also the right wisdom and understanding to apply that knowledge rightly to Rightly live according to that knowledge, to make the correct decisions according to that knowledge. A spirit of wisdom and then a spirit of revelation. These two words go together with spirit. It's both a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation. A pneuma apocalypsios, which means revelation or unveiling, revealing something. The Spirit has, of course, given us his revelation already in Scripture. But again, this revelation, this, these texts, this knowledge that we are given in Scripture has to be applied to the heart it has to be it takes wisdom to when you know what the bible says what god's word says to also apply it to the heart to act rightly according to it and this is not something that men can do in themselves it's nothing that you or I can do by ourselves that we can just read the Bible and then we have understood it and and by ourselves get ourselves to live after that or believe after that it needs a special application and a revelation of the spirit to each man to each man's hearts not in a, a, a vision or a revelation, a charismatic revelation of things 
that come down that you say that God has revealed something to you in, in general, general things like that. No, the fact that this that you read in the Bible has to be exceptionally revealed to you. Revealed to a man. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3 and 14 to 18 about when the Jews read their Bible, the Old Testament, the law. He writes, for unto this very day there is a veil that remains upon, upon them, upon their hearts. For unto this very day the same veil remains upon the reading of the Old Covenant not being uncovered. So there's a covering that's in the way for people to understand the Bible. It's not being uncovered because it is done away with in Christ. But until today, whenever Moses is read aloud, a veil lies upon their heart. But whenever one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, reflecting the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory into glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So, those who are not saved, not believers, when they read the Bible, there is a, a covering, a veil, so that they cannot understand it, a veil on their heart. But we, Christians, read We who have turned to the Lord have had this veil removed, done away with in Christ. So when we read it, this veil is removed. And it's needed, it's necessary to have more and more revealed to you. So the, this is what literally the word reveal means, or apocalypsios in Greek, it means to have a covering removed, taken away, a veil removed, taken away. As when you, when you unveil a statue, you have someone has built a statue and it's standing there, but it's a covering over it, it's veiled. But when, when the time comes, when it's time to reveal or unveil this statue they remove the covering so that people can see it and admire it so this is what paul prays here that god will give them a spirit of revelation so that they can understand apply wisely in the knowledge of him In the insight of him, a realization of him. Now this is something that has already happened. He says in verse 18, this goes together with this, and correctly translated it says, The eyes of your hearts 
having been enlightened. Some translations say that, make it sound like Paul is praying that God will enlighten the eyes of their heart. But that's not what he says. He says that God has, having enlightened the eyes of your hearts, God has already enlightened the eyes of your hearts. And because of this, because this has already happened, this can happen even more to you. These things that Paul is praying for can happen and will happen even more to them. If he would say that, I pray that the eyes of your hearts will be enlightened, it would mean that he was praying for them as non-Christians, that they were not having the faith of Christ. They were not saved already. But he says that since the eyes of your hearts have been enlightened, even more so you will be given a spirit of revelation, spirit of wisdom in the knowledge of him. And here is also used a nice Greek word, epignosis. The not, not gnosis, but epignosis. Gnosis, that means knowledge. That you may know maybe that the word Gnosticism comes from. Or prognosis. The knowledge of something. But the word epignosis has a different word attached before it literally means an insight coming to realize something, coming to understand something deeper, having something more deeply revealed to you, realizing something, having insight in God. They it's something they they have, they know God, they intimately know God, knows God knows them. They have come to know God through the gospel. They have come to be included in his people. And, but this knowledge that they have has to be realized deeper. Something that they already have that has to be realized even more for them. So their hearts have been enlightened. They have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. They know God. But Paul prays that since this is true, even more so God will continue working in you, continue to do these things for you, that you will go from glory to glory by the Lord, by the Spirit. And then in verse 18, it comes to the purpose of this prayer, what this is supposed to lead to, what is this wisdom and Revelation and knowledge, deeper knowledge supposed to give them. Why, why do they need, why should they have this deeper knowledge and wisdom? He says the purpose, so that you may know. And then he says three things. First, what is the hope of his calling? That he prays that they will 
grow deeper in this knowledge so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance among the saints. And then verse 19. How exceedingly great his power is in you believers. But we'll look, look, take these things one at a time. So verse 18. So that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Again, they will have a wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. So that they will know what is the hope of His calling, that is God's calling to them, to what hope has he called them. This is the effectual calling that has already happened to them. When an elect person, a person that God has elected before the foundation of the world, in a, comes to the streets or somewhere in a situation where an, a Christian preaches the gospel and this elect, not, still not saved person hears the gospel, hears about how Christ has done, died for sinners, how he commands all men everywhere to repent and trust in Christ and be saved this elect person will be effectually called. Everyone who hears it are called in general, but in the elect person, God also effectually calls them. God works in their heart as they hear the gospel call. God works in them. He enlightens the eyes of their heart. He unveils the mystery to them so that they understand they understand the gospel, they hear the gospel, the word of truth, and come to faith in it, God working in them, God renewing their heart, turning the heart of stone into a heart of flesh, and effectually calls them so that they will be called by the gospel, they will listen to it, they will repent. They will believe that Christ has died for their sins. And they will become Christians. That is the calling that he talks about. The effectual calling. God's, not the calling of a man, a mere human preacher, but also God's own calling within their hearts turning them from their sin and saving them so it's that kind of calling Paul talks about it's not calling to an office or a ministry in the church but the call to salvation the effectual calling to a certain hope what is the hope of his calling he doesn't say here in this verse what is the hope of his calling he just prays for That they will understand what is the hope of his calling. But the calling actually is to Christ. It is a calling to 
the hope is to Christ, to know Christ and also to become like Christ as we read in, in 1 John 3 and 2. Beloved, now children of God are we, and it was not yet manifested what we shall be. And we have known that if he may be manifested, that is Christ, when he, when he comes, we, like him, we shall be, because we shall see him as he is. That is the hope of our calling. We do not yet understand or know exactly all the breadth and length and depth of that hope, what it looks like. It's not yet manifested to us, but when we will reach that hope, when we will finally see him, we shall be with him, we will know him fully, and we will see him as he is, and we will become like him. So the hope is Christ himself, and to be like Christ also, to be transformed into him into his image completely. And this goes together also, of course, with what he continues saying, praise that they will know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance among the saints. So they will receive a wisdom and knowledge, a revelation in the knowledge of God, so that they will understand what is his inheritance what is that riches of the glory of his inheritance among the saints there are if we follow the the exact the logical order in what he is saying here there is uh, an inheritance among the saints that is full of glory and riches. The ins- inheritance has glory and that glory has riches and all this is his He, Christ, has riches, he has glory, and an inheritance among the saints, or in the saints, as it literally says. We have read earlier in the passage that we have an inheritance. It talks about his possession or his acquisition in verse, uh, let's see. Here. Yeah. Uh, 
11. No. Yes. Yeah, anyway, it's it's uh, his he talks about his possession and their yeah, anyway, let's skip that. I can't find it. Uh, anyway, yeah, verse 14. Verse 14. Have uh, we even written it down? <laughs> he is the 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 down payment of the uh, inheritance of your inheritance to the redemption of his acquisition. His acquisition is his church. And here in verse seven, uh, 18, it says, talks about his inheritance. So this, this, what is his inheritance? It is his church, his people, those whom he has acquired by his blood and is going to inherit when when he finally redeems his acquisition so the the riches of the glory of the inheritance it's actually his saints his pos- possession who are this inheritance so one can say that it talks about what is the riches of the glory of the saints that is yours so that you will understand what is your riches of your glory that you have in him that he has that you have in him so Paul prays for these things and we'll Look at verse 19 shortly. But prayer, as we learn from this text, prayer is a means by which God keeps and sanctifies his elect people. So Paul, he again, he thanks Father, the God Father, for his work to the elect. And prays to God the Father for the continuing work in them. He prays for the fa- to the Father of glory, the Father who provides everything for his people. He elects them before the foundation of the earth. He saves them. He calls them. He saves them. He justifies them. He sanctifies them and will finally glorify them. And many people ask why if God has already predestined everything that happens if God has already decided what's going to happen what, what, what are we then to do there's nothing we can do why should we evangelize why should we preach why should we pray for the salvation of people if God God has he's already decided what's going to happen what's the purpose of doing anything then 
Well, the answer is that God has ordained the means as well as the end, as we so so fancifully can can express it. That God has God has not only decided what's going to happen. God has not only predestined everything that's going to happen. He has also decided in what way it is going to happen. In what way will these things happen? And one of these these ways are through preaching. If God has predestined who are going to be saved, he has also predestined the way in which is they are going to be saved. And that is he has ordained the means. He has ordained preaching that humans will preach the word to them and save them. And they will hear the word and God will save them through that. He has also ordained prayer that we are to pray for the salvation of the lost. And that he will use that to listen to our prayers and answer them. And so hear the prayers of his people and answer their prayers and show his goodness and faithfulness in that way and so save more people. That's one thing, but also sanctification, their future life that has not yet happened in time. The sanctification the keeping, the growing in knowledge and understanding. Although this is most certain to happen, because God who has began a good work will finish it. Although it's very certain that a saved person is going to be kept in that salvation and never lose it, he will be Keep growing in knowledge, in sanctification. Although that is certain, it doesn't mean that he should be passive or relax or lean himself backward. And it doesn't mean that other Christians, that you and I, should not also pray for one another for our sanctification That we will be kept in the faith. That we will be kept by him. So he has ordained both the means and the end. It's all decided. The choice is made. The predestination is done. No one can change it. It's immutable. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't do anything either. Because God's word is clear about what we're going to do. That is to happen through prayer. Among many things. Sanctification and perseverance will happen through prayer. God will keep us in the faith and listen to our prayers about it.
God the Father is the source of all good things and we are told repeatedly in the Bible to pray to him for good things. And what good thing is there if not the spirit of wisdom and revelation is that great good thing that we are to pray for, the Holy Spirit himself. First, the book of James says in verse 5 and 15, I'm not going to read the whole, just verse 5 and 15 in James 1. Now if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask for it from God, who gives to all without reservation and not reproaching, and it will be given to him. For every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of change. This is why Paul directs this prayer to the Father and God of our Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't direct the prayer to the entire Trinity. He directs this prayer to the Father because the Father is the provider of every good gift from the Father of lights. He is the, the source of good things. That's his role to us as the Father. It doesn't mean that that the Son and the Holy Spirit are not the source of good things, but the Father's special role in the Trinity toward his children, believers, is that he is our provider in a special way. So that's why this prayer is directed to God the Father. Again, pray to God the Father for this good gift of wisdom, which is really the gift of the Spirit. As we read in Luke 11 and 9, where Jesus tells his disciples to pray. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. But what father among you, if his son will ask for a fish, instead of a fish will give him a snake? Or also, if he will ask for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? Therefore, if you, although you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will the Father from heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now here Jesus talks about asking the Father for good gifts. And at the end he he, uh, clarifies this good gift that we are to ask. The father of is the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. We already have the Holy Spirit. We have received the Spirit as a 
down payment as a seal to our salvation that guarantees our salvation all Christians have the spirit indwelling in them but we are also too commanded to pray for more of this Holy Spirit in some way maybe we can't fathom or understand really and of course not in a Pentecostal charismatic contemporary way where we where people don't have the spirit and are still Christians and need to pray to receive the spirit no there is a a feeling of the spirit that Christians still need and still are commanded to pray for be filled with the spirit ask for the spirit receive more of this this spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will understand the hope of your calling and the riches of his inheritance among the saints it is the a prayer for a revelation and knowledge of god in christ and again not speculational speculative knowledge speculative wisdom actual intimate love faith obedience that kind of knowledge that kind of insight of god and the father and god the father gives these good things right now to his church and continually gives more and more of that good gift and we are to keep praying more and more for that good gift he gives that good gift now many other good gifts and also in eternity the eternal good the riches of inheritance that will finally be realized but we will also look now at verse 19 the appeal the prayer is made to god the father the prayer for sanctification and more of the spirit's work and revelation is directed to god the father because he is that provider and he is the one that has ordained the end as well as the means so the prayer is directed to god the father but not only that the appeal of the prayer is made to god and his power Not only because you, God, you are the Father who gives these things. Not only that, but you are the powerful God that is able to give these things. Because you're omnipotent. Paul appeals here to the power of God. First he, he says that you will understand more of this power. So we praise for our wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God that they will also know what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. And what is that surpassing greatness of his power? 
He continues, according to the working of his mighty strength. So God is able to grant this prayer according to the working of his mighty strength that they are to to know and have more revealed toward them. And here Paul doesn't spare any words he uses. There are many words in the Greek for, for power or strength or might or ability. But here Paul piles three power words upon each other. He says the working of his mighty strength. Or literally he says his strength's might's energy or working out. Or his the power of the power of his power or the strength of his strength of his strength the might of his might of his might three words for power that that uh, empowers the words of power that amplifies the fact that god's power is exceedingly great surpassingly great it's the first the his his strength his uh, the ability for him to do it then it's his tes ischios that is his strength then it's to Kratos, where the world, word uh, democracy comes from, or theocracy, that is the, the ruling power. Not only the strength and ability to do something, but also the authority and ruling power to do something. And then at the end, ten energeian, where the word energy comes from, the the working out of that power. It's not a, a resting power that just is able to do things. But a power that actually works things out. John Calvin says that we may view strength. That's where it begins. His strength. Strength as the root. And then power as the tree. The kratos, the tree, and the efficacy as the fruit, or the stretching out of the divine arm which terminates in action. So this is a a working out, a power that works itself out, that does what it can. Not only is able to do something, but does what it can. And he says this here because he prays to God, who is the Father, who gives good things, who is able to give good things, and is working out that ability to do good things and give good things. And again, this is not not 
power as in miracles or doing wonders or that we should seek charismatic miracles, signs and wonders, spectacular manifestations. No, it, it is that work that God has already done in them and is going to keep doing in them as he prays. It is that power, verse 20, which he has worked in Christ, raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. That mighty power that can make dead people alive again. That mighty power is at work in the church and shall keep being at work in the church. This is the same power that he, that God has wrought in the church. We read in Ephesians 2 and 1 through 6. And you, although you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the authority of the air, the spirit now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all formerly lived in the desires of our flesh, doing the will of the flesh and of the mind, and we were children of wrath by nature, as also the rest of them were. But God... Being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us and we being dead in trespasses. He made us alive with Christ by grace you are saved. This same resurrection power that God worked when he made Jesus alive. Jesus who was dead in the tomb. That same power by which Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. That is the same power that has worked already in a Christian person. Who has been also spiritually dead in his trespasses and sins. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved and raised us together and seated us together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So this power of the power of the power of God, which he has worked in Christ, raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavenly places. This is what God has also done in the Christian, where he has made us alive together with Christ and seated us raised us together and seated us together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul appeals not to the power of God to create out of nothing. He doesn't appeal to the power of God to work miracles in nature. I repeat again the same things that I said last week. It's not that power. It's an even greater power. A power that can take death, corruption, sin, filth 
and make it into life, righteousness, justification, cleanness, holiness. John Gill, the great commentator, writes about this verse 20. This must needs require almighty power as well as what is then done. Some things are removed, Satan is dispossessed, the stony heart is taken away, the enmity is slain, the old man is put down from the throne and put off with his deeds, and there are some things wrought. Christ is formed in the soul, his grace is implanted, his image is stamped on, a new heart is given, and principles of light and life, of grace and holiness are put. The understanding is enlightened, the will is subdued, the affections are set on other objects, and the mind and conscience are cleansed and purified. That is almighty power. That is the power of the power of the strength of his might and authority and craft and power. What he has already done in them, he has brought them from death to life. So if God has already done this to them, would he not also be able to complete that work, to finish it, to make them more holy, as he has turned them from sin to holiness already. It's not more difficult for God to, to then turn them from glory to glory, as he has already turned them from shame, from filth, from sin and death. Now that a Christian is made alive, made holy, made sanctified, made glorious. It's not more difficult for God to continue to make them even more holy, make them even less sinful, make them even more according to his image. And this is the appeal that Paul does in this prayer He is certain that God, who has done a good work in them, will also finish it. Because he has done this hard work already. The world as we know... Today, they do not know the hope or the power of God. We live in a very atheistic age. As Jesus similarly talks to the Sadducees, the sort of the atheists of his time, the people that are sect in, inside Judaism that didn't believe in spirits or that the resurrection. Things like that. Jesus said to them, you, you do not know the power of God. This is the world we live in. They do not know the hope of his calling. They have not heard. They do not know the power of God, what God is able to do. 
But we who have had our eyes, the hearts, the eyes of the hearts enlightened, we, his church, we know some of it. We know some of the hope of his calling, that it is to Christ, but we do not understand fully. We know some of the riches of his glory, as much as we can understand with our minds today. We know some of his power. We have experienced his power, but how much of it do we actually think of? Many say that they were saved by their own free will. They were able to believe in Jesus but on their own. They were able to repent and trust in Jesus on their own. They might might really have been saved, but they have not fully understood what actually is the power of God unto salvation. Anyway, we need still to know more of it. How do we get it? How do we get to know more of these things? How do we get to know more of the hope of his calling, of the riches of the glory? How do we know more of his exceeding power toward us? Well, this text teaches us that we get this by prayer. We can get it by reading, listen to sermons, but really... It is God that has to give it to us. And we need to pray to God, the Father, for it. To pray for more of the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Not again, this is so misused today when people pray for revelations and Holy Spirit baptism. It's so misused today, but let us not... Take that and and stop doing it in the right way, the way God has intended, the way God commands us in the Bible to pray for more of the Holy Spirit, to pray for more wisdom and revelation and knowledge of God. And not, not just for ourselves. Do you pray for others? Do you, like Paul here, pray for others in the church, your brothers and sisters in the Lord? That they, not just selfishly, that I may get more revelation and Holy Spirit and knowledge and power. No, pray for each other. That this, this person, this person will receive more, will receive a spirit of Wisdom and revelation. Understand the hope of his calling. Understand the exceeding great power toward him or her. Have you... Had your eye, the heart's eye enlightened. Maybe have you 
let it grow murky and dim. Jesus says in Matthew 6, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. Therefore, if your eye is sincere, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is evil, your whole body will be dark. Therefore, if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Have you lost track of your sanctification? Have you lost your way or have you fallen in despair, gone away from your first love? Are you easily offended at things people say? Are you sorrowful or are you depressed? You have not, you have let your eye grow dim and dark. You have not. understood you or you have lost your understanding your wisdom and revelation of what hope you have what is the hope of your calling what are the riches of his inheritance among the saints what is the exceedingly great power toward you you look too much at evil You look at this dark world, this evil and wicked world. But you do not look to the hope you have, the riches that are waiting you in glory. Don't look too much at evil or at all. Don't look around at all the darkness in the world, the darkness around you, the bad circumstances, the depression the loneliness. Don't think of that. Instead, we will pray for you and pray for that you will again be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will understand the hope you have instead. The light, the hope that is above, not here on on ground. And then there are those, you among us, who have not yet had your heart's eye opened at all. Never. Some people seek enlightenment. They want to have their heart's eye enlightened. They seek this enlightenment through false religions, through meditation of different kinds, to Meditate enough so that they will, in some, by some way, become enlightened, or by partaking of unbiblical wisdom from other false religions that are said to, if you, if you get to know these these religious doctrines, these religious truths, these religious rituals, you will reach enlightenment. You will reach. Wisdom. You will read. You will read these uh, wise, worldly wise people and become enlightened by them. Some people seek enlightenment by religious rituals and religious wisdom, 
meditation. And yet others seek enlightenment by taking psychedelic drugs. They say that I ate a mushroom or I smoked something and after that I became enlightened. I met these ultra-dimensional beings, these gnomes or aliens in another dimension and they told me the truth, they gave me knowledge, they made me enlightened. And then when they wake up from, from this hallucination, they don't remember anything, but they feel that they have become enlightened in some way. No, you do not attain enlightenment by religious rituals, meditation, wisdom, literature, other than the Bible. You do not reach enlightenment by mushrooms or DMT or all those things. No, the only means to reach enlightenment is by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God has to work in your heart. Enlighten your eyes so that you see the exceeding sinfulness of your sin. How useless you are before the eyes of God. How your righteous deeds, those religious deeds or good deeds that you think are righteous, are no more than filthy rags before his pure eyes. That is enlightenment. And then to know the power of God unto salvation that it is through the gospel alone, through Jesus Christ alone, who has died for sinners, to save sinners. And to have your eyes enlightened to see the glory of Christ, the glory of Christ as your Savior, who takes away all your sin if you only repent and trust in him. To have your eyes enlightened and open. To see the truth of this gospel. So that you will turn away from your sin. From your wicked ways. And trust in Christ alone. And nothing else for your salvation. That is how you reach enlightenment. And it can only happen by the spirit of God. And it happens as we pray for each other and for you who are lost and that's it God has done a mighty work in his church and he's to be thanked for it and we are to pray for more of that work in us in each other to his glory let us pray Lord, we, as we've heard these words, we pray. We can nothing else but pray these words that Paul is praying and actually pray them for ourselves and each other. You, God, the Father, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. You who have already enlightened the hearts 
the eyes of your hearts. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of yourself so that we may know what is the hope of your calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance among the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of your power toward us who believe according to the working of your mighty strength which you have worked in Christ, raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Lord, we cannot add much to that apostolic prayer than that, Lord, keep working in us, keep us safe, keep us in your love, keep us on the right path, keep us in holiness and we pray for for the unbelievers who are listening, Lord, enlighten their hearts, unveil their hearts, reveal to them yourself as they are here, listening and hearing the gospel, reveal yourself to them, call them effectually, enlighten their hearts and save them, we pray in Jesus' mighty name, because of your great exceeding power. Amen. Amen.